Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite, a religious leader, also passed the other way. Then, according to Luke's version, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment who is marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Lindy Wright of Ivy Haywood Education Initiative, Uganda. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, why don't you just start with just telling us a little bit about yourself, Lindy? Oh, yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, my name is Lindy Ann Wright, and um, I'm currently um, based in in Florida. Um, IHA Uganda is a, an initiative which was started on in twenty in twenty twelve in Kampala, Uganda. About ten years ago, or a little bit more now, actually eleven years ago, I assumed a position with Johns Hopkins University to work in a city and a continent that I had never visited before. And so I came upon, I, I started working with, um, I high with, with um, Johns Hopkins U, U, um, University. And from there on, the story of I high began in 2012. And um, it has grown exponentially today. That's amazing. So, um, so what part of just out of curiosity, what part of Florida? And then, if you could talk a little bit more about the John Hopkins opportunity, and just like kind of, because I'm always curious about how these um, these how these paths happen, you know, sort of unexpectedly by sort of divine. Um, guidance. Absolutely. But this one was totally by divine guidance because I was, um, I resided in Chicago, Illinois. um, And from there, I was hired remotely by Johns Hopkins University to assume a position um, in Kampala, Uganda. At that time, I knew not of Kampala. I had never been to Uganda, you know, so it was really God's path for me. Yeah. Um, currently, I am in Florida with the pandemic, during the pandemic with my, with my, with my mother. Yeah. But my path from Chicago to Kampala, Uganda was certainly God orchestrated. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Kampala is sort of a a really interesting place. I I haven't been, but I've known people who've, who've sort of been there, including some friends from college that now live there. But, um, 
you know, just it's it's such a vibrant city from everything I've heard. So I got to make it out there. So I guess share with us a little bit about kind of just Kampala and what, what was most surprising for you coming from Chicago into Kampala? And then what were some of the similarities maybe that you found that you were surprised by? So there, there's always some difference. And then there's some stuff where it's like, oh, this is almost like Chicago, just in the, on a different continent. Yeah. I think, um, you know, um, I think first to begin, I was um, really impressed by the length of the the flight to get there. <laughs> so I'm on a plane for 18 hours, and I'll tell you a little secret as well, is that I was afraid of flying. So... <laughs> 18 hours will get you comfortable with it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So I remembered when I took the job, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I cannot walk on water. So therefore, I have to fly for 18 hours to get there. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, so it was really facing my fears. Got there, got to Kampala, was really excited to be there. And one thing I would say, though, that I was impressed from the time that I got there was the um, the warm welcome of the people. Mm-hmm. I felt that for, I would say, for every day of the five years that I lived there, I think the warm welcome of the people, I think the humility of the people, they were very humble and um, and welcoming to me as a foreigner. And um, I really um, embraced that a lot. Um, it was a little bit more diverse than I thought in terms of I found a lot of expats there. Um, and I thought that was not going to be the case, but there were quite a lot of expats there as well. Um, United Nations, you know, WHO, and different organizations as well, in which we were able to merge with. Um, similarities with Chicago, um, I did not find much, but I would say originally I am from Trinidad and Tobago, which is in the Caribbean. And the um, you know, it was very similar to my time growing up in Trinidad. So when I got there, it sort of threw me back, maybe like about 20 years, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years back. <laughs> <laughs> it really tossed me back into like what I remember my childhood to be growing up yeah Yeah, it's uh it's amazing Um, I've heard a lot of other people who visited different parts of Africa say the same thing about just the the welcome you know you kind of they're like in especially in this I think it's generally in most African countries but some are even more so to the extreme where it's like they never meet a stranger like you you get there you meet someone and it's like you've been friends forever and you'll remain friends for life and there's that's just that sort of tradition and um you know that i think i haven't found anywhere else it just seems like it's really unique to to africa and i 
Um, Lindy, please talk more about how you're just in getting this started, the passion for the people and um, the inequality that was there that really got you started. What really pulled you in? And then um, expound upon how it started out because I don't think they know the story of how you you were doing this out of your own pocket before mm-hmm. other people joined in, saw what you were doing, and it became something larger. Could you go more into that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I How Uganda um, came about from my observation of many of the school-age children on the streets of Kampala on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I would walk the streets, so if I'm driving with my local driver and I would ask him, why are there so many children on the streets? You know, and he would say to me, Madame, it's because their parents cannot afford to pay for the school fees. And so you would see them walking home. And you can see a kid walking home as young as seven years old by themselves because they were chased from school literally chased from school and so they are trying to make their way back home. I came upon this family who I call the first family and they lived on the hills of Naguru which is you know just on the outskirts of the city of Kampala and the the, the mother Sabina she had nine children and could not afford to send them to school. So I would pass on the hill of Naguru and I would see these children. And I wondered why they were not in school. So I came upon one of the um, one of the, the, the girls, she was nine years old at that time and her name is Kevin. And I began to talk to her. I, you know, I visited the family and I came to her one day and um, I asked her to bring me her school shoes if she did have any school shoes at that time. Mm. She ran inside to her little house, which was just a little broken down hut with with, um, garbage bags held down by stones on the roof of their home and there were actually at least nine of them in there in this one room. And she ran inside and she brought out her her shoes for me. And it was a tattered pair of shoes. It was all, you know, it was all broken up. It was extremely aged. Um, Pieces were falling out of it. And she ran and she brought those shoes to me. And I think that really was the birth of IHI because I was able to see the need, not just that there was a need for them to go to school, but it was also a need to provide for them to go to school. Yeah. So I went to my family and we started, um, we started to, to sponsor that family, you know, um, to school, and they, we started off with the first five. Five mm-hmm. of them, we um, we um, paid for them to go to school, etc. And that was five. And I remember I came another day, and I'm walking the hills of Nagura again. I'm visiting 
observing this family again. And I saw again that the kids were not at school. So I'm saying, but why are they not at school? Didn't we just pay for their school fees? But, but one of the things in Uganda, not only is there no free education, but also as well, in addition to having to pay for school fees, the kids must bring to the school as well brooms to help to, you know, small brooms to help to clean, um, toilet paper to, mm -hmm. to pull for the bathroom, printing paper and stuff like that. So not only me, the parents, it's the parent now, you know, challenged to meet the, the need for the school fees, but also for the requirements. Yes. And, yes. And so therefore, the Sabina could not, even though we were paying the school fees, she could not even pay for the requirements. And so when I asked them what was the, the, the challenge, Sabina could not afford to pay for the roll of tissue paper, which in US dollars actually translated into 10 cents. And yeah. so the kids were, yes. And so therefore, I hire Uganda today, not only provide for the children their school uniform to make sure that they are in school, but we also, we also as well provide for their school requirements. So quickly, that one family grew from five to 12 and then to 25. And we kept growing and growing because the need in the city is so, is so great. Um, as we grew, whenever there was a sponsor available to assist a child and to support a child to remain in school, we stayed, you know, we, we stayed connected. Yeah. As Samuel was, you know, as Samuel expressed, any need that was not provided by the sponsor, though, was assumed by me, you know, as, as the, the funder of the organization. Because one of the things and one of the policies of IHA Uganda is that all of the fees of a sponsor, all the fees actually go towards the cost of the child. So whatever that sponsor pays for the child supports the child 100%. Yeah. That's amazing there. <laughs> That's kind of the ultimate for nonprofits to be able to have 100% <laughs> direct um, needs met. So, wow. Yes, yes, absolutely. And um, other fees, you know, like administrative fees, if we are to pay anyone, you know, to do anything, you know, that's totally supported by you know donations or you know personal expenses or anything like that but though the fees towards the sponsored child is actually supported at 100 percent all of it goes towards the support of the child today i has grown from supporting that one family on the hill the first family of five to now we support 64 families in the fam in 64 students 
in the city of Kampala, Uganda. Wow. That's <laughs> that's more than tenfold. And that's just from 2012 to 2020. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, I can safely say, and Samuel could attest to that too, since when we sat there, you know, um, when we were there last October before the pandemic, um, we do have a waiting list. We do turn away children. Um, certainly because we do not have sufficient sponsors. And we want to be sure that when we do take on a, a, a child within the program to be sponsored, that we can continue that sponsorship. So we do have a long waiting list. And that 64 can easily become 100. Got you. I was going to ask, so when you when you take the kids, are you, is there like a, a set grade that you take them or um, I guess this is a two-parter. Is there a set grade where you maybe try from first grade or it could be any grade, but whenever they come into the program, you keep them until they graduate? Actually, whenever they come into the program. So we accept um, children into the program from the, what we will call here, pre-kindergarten. You know, actually okay. from the age of four, right up, and we're hoping to take them into beyond high school into university. Gotcha. Wow. That's, that's some amazing, amazing, amazing work. Um, and I'm I'm still a little bit. I apologize. I'm just still blown away by five to sixty-four because that's you know, more than ten x. And then the fact that you know, based on your waiting list, you could easily have a hundred or more. And you know, I, I do I do love the fact that you you you're bringing recognition to um, how it's beyond just the tuition right it's the you know because it's it's over here it's kind of easy to just ignore education but you know this is it takes a whole lot just to get to the school you know and and any little thing can trip you up along the way whether it's the the you know toilet paper costs, whether it's, you know, you need to buy paper or you need to bring a broom um, to contribute because the teachers don't have the money. And sometimes the teachers haven't been paid for months in some African countries. Um, and so that little bit can trip them up or even sometimes the amount of chores the kids have to do before going to school, right? So you're waking up at five o'clock in the morning to yeah. get stuff done. I, I guess I'm kind of speaking <laughs> stuff that you're yeah. familiar with, but you you got to wake up at five to get stuff done. You got to go get water from, you know, a well and bring it. And so there's all this extra work before you can even get to the classroom uh -huh. and sit down. These kids are not living the typical kid lifestyle that we might be used to for our kids here in the U.S. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would like to say as well that I, hi, Uganda, we select our kids from the 
the poor of the poor, from the poorest populations within Kampala. Sometimes, um, unfortunately, we turn kids back because they are not poor enough. We look for the students or the families who the poor families would actually call poor. Yes. Yeah. You know, so these children, the opportunities that we give to them are like none other, that they may not even have the economic potential to achieve. And so many of our kids are from single parents, single mothers usually. If they are employed, they are maybe hawkers, what we call hawkers or street vendors on the street, and they are making very little daily. Um, many of these mothers are supporting children, um, babies, um, three, four, five, six, seven, many in the households, you know, yeah. as we visited. And um, so just to acknowledge that we go to the poor, we go to the poor of the poor, because I believe that's the, that's the population in which we are called to serve. Yeah. I guess... Um... Tell, since, you know, we, I don't know you, Samuel obviously knows you, like what, there, there are a lot of expats who go into cities, even though I haven't been to Kampala, I've been to enough similar, that expats go into cities like those, they're living the life, right? You know, they've got all of their needs met, they've got the driver, they've got the chef, they got whatever, and they're, they've got enough funds to live a better lifestyle than they live in their home country, especially if you're in the U.S. Um, so explain to me why Lindy, you know, who's living the life, you know, in Kampala, based on the fact that you're an expat, what drew you to the poorest of the poor and to go, you know, do these trips to um, meet, folks like uh, Sabina, right? And, and her kid. Like what drew you? Because that's not the typical expat experience. So I just want to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. And that is a perfect description. Perfect, perfect description. When you live in a, as an expat in a developing country, you know, the life is definitely um, well worth living, <laughs> to say the least. Um, I remember I asked one of the social workers um, at my job to take me into the real Kampala, not just the expat Kampala or the places that they would like us to travel. But And so one day she took me into, into the slums of Kampala. And I remember we were walking along, walking along, and, you know, it's, um, you know, really broken down homes, you know, um, 
you know, the kids are running out. We, 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 we're walking over canals and we're walking over puddles and, and everything like that. And I'm seeing the kids and they're outside. Some of them are, you know, just dressed and they have some shorts on. Many of them did not have on anything at all. And I remember I was walking through and she was walking before me and I was just looking around and I can just see the poverty. I can just see the level of the poverty. And I stopped. I couldn't walk anymore. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't walk anymore. And I just stopped because I could see the children and I thought about Oh my God, these are people like we are, you know. They have needs and 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 you can look at mothers and you can see, you know, that their desire for their children must be the same. And and and, and the poverty just got to me. I stopped, I couldn't move, I was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed that people were living in such depth of poverty. And I stopped. I couldn't move anymore. And um, the social worker came to me and she said, and she looked at me and she started laughing at, actually. She didn't know that I was, I had stopped. So she was walking ahead. And then she came to me and she said, she said, Lindy, this is how we live. This is how we live. Mm. And I think from that moment too, my life was not the same. Um, I, th I think from that moment, my life was not the same. So by the time I met Sabina and her family on the hills of Kampala, my heart was already looking to help, wanting to help, yeah. wanting to do something because as an expat, we are actually in the country, yes, living a better life. But can we also give someone there a chance at a better life as well? Yep. You know. I, um, I wanted to add on, uh, Sam, you're asking about how the students, there's so, so much, there's a big, huge difference in the way that, you know, kids here, or in school and kids there. <clears throat> but a lot of the students that the program support don't have electricity or running water. Mm -mm. So you can imagine here, the student comes home late, they have light to do homework, but not mm -hmm. necessarily there. Yep. Um, it's, mm -hmm. and the reason why I think I was so excited about this program is, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of times we say, okay, I, I, there are people here that need help. And we give to that. But the whole story of the Good Samaritan was this person was of a different culture. So yes, we, we are to help our neighbors, we help people here, but Jesus is telling us in the Good Samaritan story, we got to help people who are not like us, people of different cultures mm -hmm. as well. And that mm -hmm. had been eating me up for a couple of years until I crossed someone who um, was familiar with Lindy and the um, Ivy Haywood Education Initiative. And I heard about it and I was like, don't even tell me anything more about it. I just gave. Then the next year when I had an opportunity to go, 
I went with them and it was such a blessing to see that these children aren't just being sponsored. Once a month, they come together and they are actually, they're given the word of God. And we went into a home of a Muslim family and mm-hmm. the mother, she was just broken. And she, you know, her husband had passed and another one of the older children had passed and there was no way she could pay for her kids to go to school. And Lindy was telling her, look, don't worry about it. We t- we're going to take care of you. We love you, you know, prayed for it and everything. And she was a Muslim. But what, what, what was the significance of this? Lindy said, you know, we're going to, we're here doing the work of Jesus. And when your child, when your child comes, we're going to talk to them about the love of Jesus. And the mother's like, please, please go ahead. So mm-hmm. what's fascinating is they're not just being helped as far as an education. They're, um, Jesus has been introduced to them. And Lindy, if you could tell them about what happened during the shutdown with the girls, um, I think that that's another significant part of how this organization is really being the Good Samaritan um, in this world. Yes, thank you, Samuel. Uh, yes, yes. During the pandemic, during the pandemic, one of the things um, we held two main, two main projects. One is um, an emergency food project, um, in which we realized that our families were not able to access food or even, you know, even that daily monetary supply um, in order to purchase food. Um, Since our parents, the mothers have vendors, average of maybe two to five dollars, maybe two to five dollars a day. And so they were not able to achieve this. So therefore, I Hi Uganda, we got our sponsors excited, you know, and we launched an emergency food program um, for the parents in which we went into the community and we delivered food and cleaning, you know, um, cleaning items, cleaning supplies for the families and our students so that they can fight through this pandemic. Um, From some of the pictures we received, you know, from some of the families, we we, we can definitely tell that they were in need of of food. Mm. They could not access food. So that was one of the programs that we um, implemented in the pandemic. The the second program which we implemented was actually a girls group in which we brought the girls together um, simply because one of the students, one of of our students, a 14-year-old girl, she ran away during the pandemic. And she was found and she was brought back, not to her parents, but actually she was brought back to our local staff in mm. Uganda. Someone in the community found her and brought her back to Ihai Uganda, and we eventually took her back to her family. But what it is we realize 
is that during the pandemic, because the population that we serve, as we said, they are the poor of the poor, they're the poorest, they come from the slums of Kampala, Uganda, there is no access for remote learning. You know, mm-hmm. in the homes, many of them don't even have as much of a, as a radio, much yeah. less a television or anything. So there's no, no, um, so there are no tools at all for um, remote learning. So um, as a result of that, our kids were at risk of just having a lot of time on their hands and, you know, um, and, and making not the best choices all the time you know, yeah. uh, which is expected. Also, we, we were learning that because of the the um, increased poverty by the pandemic, that some of the girls in Uganda were being married off even at the age of 12, yeah. you know. Um, and so I had Uganda, we came in again and we realized that with that we needed to do something, particularly with the girls. We needed to stay in contact with the girls. We needed the girls to know that we are in contact with them. And so we brought them together in small groups of 12, which was the maximum allowed during the pandemic, of groups of 12, so that they can have what we call like a girl talk time, in which we, we discuss every topic, every topic that they needed you know to in order for them to assist them more or less i should say to assist them to make healthy choices healthy choices for themselves you know as they await the pandemic and return to school um these groups were held for for three months they were they were held for three months and um the kids learned everything about being valued as a woman I remember one of the topics that they really enjoyed was the Proverbs woman of um, Proverbs 31. Oh, they loved that topic <laughs> in which we really showed them, you know, that you, to value yourself and that you can be a Proverbs 31 woman regardless of what area of life that you are from. Yeah. Um, yes, and we were able to talk with the, with the, with the girls and um, we had 25 girls in all. We were able to talk with the girls and help them through to make these choices. The, the students actually loved, the girls loved the program so well that we had a 99 to almost, almost 100% attendance throughout the three months. Wow. That, that's amazing. It's, um, and I uh, wanted to come back to just the, you know, some some people might be listening to this and not as familiar, but um, when you've got that level of intense poverty, one of the things that tends to happen, especially when things even get worse, because you're already starting out dirt poor, right? But now mm-hmm. things are worse and there's no food security, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what ends up happening is the easiest currency sometimes and and you know it, you can kind of judge parents or you might try to judge the kids if you're not familiar with it but the easiest currency ends up being young girls being sexualized yes you know and that's so i i, I really applaud you guys for understanding it jumping in you know without judgment to just try to correct that because it's a matter of you know, meeting the whole need of the person, right? It 
doesn't uh-huh. help to have the tuition paid if the person can't eat because Absolutely. then they will be forced to go out to try to get um, food and that's usually in the wrong hand. So just uh-huh. wanted to kind of just add some extra context to that, that it's, you know, but for the grace of God, if they're not, if we ever had that level of uh, poverty, we might make some of those same choices. And I think sometimes it's easy to just sort of hear this and kind of gloss over it and go, why would you do that? Why would you get married at 12? And, you know, without having the context of it's about your next meal. And that's usually used as the lure to get the girls. You know, I can provide food for you. And then that creates the um, same poverty cycle because that girl then has nine kids, um, you know, Mm -hmm. in a Mm -hmm. matter of years. And so it just continues. Hi, this is Sam. I'd like to thank you for listening. We're going to stop right there and resume our conversation with Lindy next time. Mm -hmm.